0: Oh, hi, I'm Crystal, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one. And welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and real life moments that shaped us. Ooh, welcome back. Uh, In the spirit of the podcast, why don't I tell you one of the things that made me queer? Let's talk about Men's Health Magazine. Uh, I don't know if that was a thing in the UK, but it was a Canadian slash American fitness magazine. And it always had these incredibly hunky, buff men on the cover with totally unrealistic bodies. And I would definitely sneak away from my parents in the grocery store as a closeted gay kid and just walk back and forth in, in the magazine aisle, just trying to get a glimpse at the men on the cover. I think I eventually built up the courage to buy one and <clears throat> maybe leave it under my bed. And then I find I remember actually vividly finally buying an actual gay men's magazine when I was in France, probably 17, and being so embarrassed buying it and hiding it inside another magazine so I could read it on the train and not even being able to read it because it was in French. Ah, shame, the things you make us do. Anyway, enough about me. Let me introduce this week's guest. I am so excited. My guest this week is so cool. They're a gorgeous singer who you might recognize as the voice of our theme music. That's right, Mint Simon is the lead singer of Cave Boy who sing our theme song, Something Like Summer, but also they're now embarking on a solo pop star journey. They have the most delicious voice, they make delightful queer bangers, and they've always been just the loveliest person to talk to. Please welcome to the podcast, Mint Simon. Hi. Hi. How are you? So
1: happy. I'm good. I'm so happy to be
0: here. Likewise. uh, I saw you just recently in Montreal. Nice to see you again.
1: It was so nice to finally meet in person.
0: So funny, isn't it? We've been like, I feel like fangirling over each other for a while. Absolutely. uh, On the internets, but never actually connected. So it was really nice.
1: It was so good. And your show was so good. Oh, it's probably one you of the one of the that. better turn. No, I don't. It was so good. I was like, ah, yes, the caliber, the cal- the bar. <laughs>
0: <It> <laughs> and there were so many show. people there, which yeah. is rare
1: for Montreal. So that was very special.
0: It was really nice. I think basically I said this during the show, but I had basically cajoled and forced half the audience to come. There was like family there, that had some aunties who I definitely was not expecting to come and wasn't necessarily prepared for, but uh, <laughs> yeah. also lots of friends. It was really
1: nice. It was great. Thank you for it was coming. So fun. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Before we get into it, can you just let me know how you identify? What are your pronouns? What are you, what's yeah, your sexuality? So what's your gender?
1: My pronouns are they, them. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of comfortable with any pronoun, but that's really where I sort of live. And I identify as gender fluid. And um, sexuality is, uh, you know, an ever changing, growing. Wonderful thing that when you think you're one thing and then you start exploring, it's very exciting. So that label is TBD.
0: I I love that. That's so nice. I love. Yeah. I love it when people can comfortably inhabit that. I don't know ambiguity.
1: It's so fun to not know, cause then you're surprised and you're and you're not. You don't have these assumptions of who you are and and what you think is best for you. And I I just love being open to whatever happens.
0: That's so great. That's so great. Yeah, I think that's not something that I've never been able to do myself. It's like I've I've found comfort in, in boxes, I think. And I think it's wonderful when people can find comfort outside of them.
1: Half comfort, you know. Half comfort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most days, let's say most days comfort.
0: <laughs> well, that's just the queer experience.
1: <laughs> exactly you're not you can never be fully comfortable how, how boring would that be
0: yeah yeah why would you get up every day
1: <laughs> exactly comfort no
0: okay well let's talk about music you were just in london weren't you doing uh some shows sadly we missed each other
1: i know Caveboy um played our first show in in the uk which was so much fun i believe people there just love music that's mm-hmm. what i got from it it was it was so wonderful. It felt like everybody who was at the show just like wanted to be there, wanted to hear music and really liked what we were doing. Uh this sort of like nostalgic indie pop thing that is sort of genreless in so many ways. I think that it felt like London was somewhere where people were like I can I don't care what genre this is. Like I just I just like it and not trying to put us in any kind of box. So that was that was great. It was and I just loved the city. I I think the plan is for us to go back. So that will I love be
0: that. Yeah. I wasn't sure That'll if Cape Boy was, you know, maybe on some kind of hiatus because you were doing you're doing solo stuff. Yeah. What's the situation there? What's the tea? Yeah. So
1: I think that we we put out our record in January 2020. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great time for all. Great timing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. really great timing. Well, yeah. so well, just as expected. And we had all these shows coming up, and uh, we were just like so excited. Felt like we were really on the brink of something. We we're so proud of uh, our record that we, you know, took like five years to make. It was a really big moment for us. So I think that 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 pandemic crash really hit us all emotionally. And we had kind of been going full speed ahead, like for ten years, like no breaks, no slowdown, just like really powering through. So I think we just sort of took a little mental health break for all of us to just, you know, sort out things in our lives and and reconnect with music in a more sort of like internal way and uh, and then being able to kind of come back together from all of our own individual places, you know, like I was going through my own identity crisis, uh, you know, I had top surgery in the pandemic, and it was just like, I needed to personally like, speak for myself, just do a lot of self exploration. Mm-hmm. That sometimes when you're a part of a group, it's it's a little harder to do because you want to be a part of something and you want to feel like you're not pulling away. Um, so I really took that time to focus on myself and I had a bunch of music that I had written and I was kind of like... I could put this music out. Like, what does it matter? You know, like so many people have multiple things going on, and Cave Boy is one thing, and my solo project is another. And it's actually really fun to get to do both because mm-hmm. I'm always busy. Which you know, I'm sure you can relate to. It d- kind of becomes a little addictive to be so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just been really great. And you know, my solo project, Min Simon, is kind of this opportunity for me to explore all these things that I'm going through and um, just really, really hyper-personal feelings and experiences. Whereas with Caveboy, we we all write together and it's um, extremely collaborative and very much so, just, it's like all I really ever knew for so long was how to write in that way. And so this was kind of an opportunity to be like, okay, what do I feel? And Mm. what do I wanna say? And how am I gonna, you know, just kind of come out as my through my like the only way i knew how to come out as like this sort of new fluidity um post-top surgery whatever was through a music project because it's like the only way i understand anything so so that's kind of how it came to be that is
0: so camp you're like i need to come out so i better do a music video yeah i better put out a single
1: (laughs) yeah like how how can i express how i feel i'll just write a song (laughs) because I can't do it on my own.
0: Also, I love that once again, I was like, could you just please put yourself into a, a category? Is it a band or is it a solo musician? like, it's both.
1: It's yeah, okay. exactly. It can
0: be both. Crisple. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm like, both can live while the other, you know, yeah, survives or whatever. To
0: put, stop trying to label me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the solo stuff. It's so great. It's so, so great. I listened to Used for Love when I was filming Call Me Mother uh, season one in North Bay. And like the only time to myself was like going out for runs. And I was just running, running in like beautiful, gorgeous North Bay listening to that song. It was like so great. So uplifting.
1: I love that. I love that. Yeah, that song like was really I was like coming out the gate with something that I felt was just like the most fun out of all my songs. And and it was like writing from a perspective, too, that was I didn't really hear where it was like so much of my project is trying to like own the things that I'm feeling so it's like having someone over late in the night like and it not being like oh you know woe is me I can't be sexual I can't be you know I can't hypersexualize because I'm queer and I'm trying to you know feel like show different sides of it I was like no it's okay I can I can write about things like that that and I don't have to like limit myself to Mm -hmm. I don't know, trying to be a form of like wholesome representation that I will never be because that's not (laughs) who I am.
0: Right. As a gay man, yeah, I don't relate. I don't (laughs) Not at
1: all. (laughs) Very wholesome.
0: Wait, people struggle with being a slut? (laughs) I don't know. I don't really. (laughs) Good. That's what I love to hear. I've heard recently that
1: being a slut is more of a mentality than anything else. And I really like that. I was like, yeah, it feels good.
0: It It's like that video of that uh, person who went viral talking to some pastor about how she's a slut, her mom's a slut, your mom's a slut, <laughs> everyone's a slut, we're it. all sluts. Like <laughs> just embrace it. It's so great. Exactly. The other thing I want to ask you before we get into the things that made me queer, because obviously we've got one of your songs as our theme music, and I've never had a chance to like talk to you about that song. And so that song obviously has meaning for me because it. I don't know. I hear something in it, but can you tell me what it's about?
1: Yeah. It's so funny because right now there's been a resurgence of that song. So we just hit a million streams on Spotify like I yesterday. Saw that today.
0: Yeah. I, saw I was that today. like,
1: what happened? I think it's because we this song is like our biggest TV film placement song. Uh-huh. So it's recently been in a new Amazon series and um in the show Made and Netflix. And it's kind of like become this like montage song, which is very cool to see it kind of used in similar ways in different things but the song was like actually one of the first songs that we ever wrote
0: because it was on your ep right
1: yeah it was like early days for me it was like early days of even like songwriting like Uh in general and um i was just kind of writing lyrics about my messy messy teenage life and this sort of like young free montreal indie going to shows, doing drugs, you know, being totally like free. And for me, it really holds like a big Montreal space in my heart. And it's just like a song that that was like about just letting go and just like feeling young, which I think like so many of us especially as queer people, we try to chase, like we try to um, make up for this time that when we were Mm -hmm. kids, we maybe didn't get to be our authentic selves. So, so much of that is in there for me and my personal relationship to it. Lana and Isabel might have their own relationship to it, but that's where I sort of live in the lyrics, especially.
0: Phew, I'm so glad.
1: (laughs) <laughs> You're like for me, it was about. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's exactly what I hear when I listen to it, and it's so funny that you say it's about Montreal for you because that's kind of where I had my years of queer discovery as well in Montreal, and yeah. and so I listen to that song and I I picture Montreal and I picture like cycling home at three a.m. through Parc La Fontaine or like j- like just all of these like visceral moments that are like so Montreal summer and it's like you say chasing that feeling of liberation that uh we didn't get to have when we were actually kids but maybe we get when we're a little bit older
1: yeah and as you know summer summer in Montreal is like very special because everyone's just like high off like having nice weather for the only like two it's like so so short and then we like forget about winter in this way Mm -hmm. that's like Kind of messed up, but, like, we all go through it. And then winter comes in, we're depressed again. But it's, like, it's like this sweet spot throughout
0: the year. Yeah. Montreal summers are truly iconic. Iconic, iconic. Oh, good. I'm just glad. Because you could have been, like, it, it was about this time when, like, a seagull stole my ice cream at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Which, I don't you know, know. <laughs> would have been
1: fine, but not as interesting.
0: <laughs> Basically, what yeah. you're saying is it's the perfect song for our podcast about queer exploration.
1: Absolutely, and it's so fun to see it like in all these different lights. I think that's what TV and film kind of bring to music is just like all new
0: life, mm-hmm. it's very cool. Mm-hmm. It's so nice that y'all gave us the rights to, to do this. It's just really, really great. I must have found Cave Boy through some kind of Spotify like queer artists you should listen to playlist. And I remember mm-hmm. listening to your song Landslide like over and over. It's just one of those songs, you know, you listen to those playlists and like every now and then a song jumps out and you're like, oh, I need to save this. And then Mm -hmm. some of those saved ones you just end up listening to on loop and loop and loop. And that was one of them for me. And so when I was trying to think like, oh, what should the theme song be to the podcast? I had listened to some other of your stuff, but I I actually was like, I bet they've got something. And I went and listened to your EP and I was like, oh my God, this song is perfect. So um,
1: I love that. I'm so, we feel honored. So,
0: Word. Oh so well, excited. the honor is mutual. Yeah, Mint. Should we get into the things that made you queer?
1: Yeah, I think we should.
0: Yeah. I think we should too. So many okay. things. <laughs> so many things. Yeah. So each episode, a guest brings a person, a place, a film or TV series, uh, an album or song, and a wild card that kind of helped them understand, or embrace, or accept, or experience their queerness. And we talk about them. We we put them into chronological order and use them to tell the story of your queer life. So you have sent me your list, and I absolutely adore it. Uh, and we are starting off the gate with your person. And you have said yes. my queer camp counselor. Talk to yes. me. Where are we? Set the scene. <laughs> Where in the world? Okay. How old?
1: Yeah, we're in we're in uh, just outside of Montreal. I Mm -hmm. probably went to summer camp from like age four or five till like 18, like I was a summer camp kid. And even now you'll hear as we go along, like the nostalgia that lives in me is so intense. Like I, it makes me cry sometimes Um, because I just like, (laughs) I just loved the nineties and growing up in the nineties at summer camp, I feel like is its own thing that Uh only people who've experienced it can really understand. So I was always like a big summer camp kid. And one year, well, I would say one year, over the span of a few years, I had a counselor who um, at the time was like the first queer person that I had ever met. And I'm going to use neutral pronouns for them because at the time they identified as female and now have since transitioned. Um, So I want to respect their uh, identity while Mm -hmm. also acknowledging that it was my first experience with a person who was um, queer and female identifying at the time and like so gay like short hair (laughs) tattoos motorcycle like someone that I have never had never seen up till that point Mm -hmm. and I was we we probably met when I was like 12 and then uh, always kind of saw each other at Campo, like, was a very important person in my life because it was, like, the first gay person that I saw in real life that wasn't male, that, like, you know, that that was, like, this sort of embodiment of, like, 90s dyke culture, which ended up being such a huge part of my life. But um, at the time, like, it was just, like, I don't think I've ever had such a visceral reaction to a person before where it was, like, Mm obsessive, like the true queer question of like, do I want to be them or do I want to sleep with them? Like Mm -hmm. it was like the first time that I experienced that feeling and it was a major whirlwind and it helped me kind of figure out that I was queer like at age 12. And at that time, you know, you're 12, you're not really like, it's like I didn't know what I was feeling because I was like going through puberty and I was like not feeling sexual feelings. It was just sort of like, weird obsession like mm-hmm. um and like addiction to this like person that was so different than anything I had experienced and then um you know as I got older and as they got older there ended up being a connection that you know went beyond like once I was of age let's say um I'm not really of age but like let's say 16 I wanted to come out to them and I hadn't really come out to anyone but it was like the only person like for me they were such a huge influential person for them I was just probably another person but I ended up coming out to them and uh it was like the first time that I ever said out loud that I was gay in any way but like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was just like obsessed with them and I was like probably unhealthily so but then it was the first queer person that I ever slept with and that was wild like it was wild that the person that was like consistent throughout my sort of thought pattern of like why like you know through that time through high school I was also watching like L word edits on YouTube which is like a very niche like thing where like I didn't have access to this show but like the fan edits like would be like or it wasn't even on YouTube it was probably on like Whatever, what were like the before you, like before YouTube? I and know. I would watch these, <laughs> I forget what happened before YouTube, but there was like these fan edits, and I was like, just like so confused. And I, and I like ordered the L word DVD um, off the internet, and I pretended that I was sick and I stayed home to like wait for it to come because I didn't want anyone else to like intercept the package. So I was probably like 14 or 15. So it was just like wild that this person sparked. Uh, just something that I really never knew. Like my family never talked about queerness when I was young. Like it was Mm -hmm. not something that I understood. So just like this fully tattooed little like faux hawk hair like person just like totally destroyed my whole world. And and we, uh, yeah, ended up having an intense connection. And has been sort of like a figure throughout my life, um, as like, through their journey and my journey, and is very influential. I think in my queerness, like I wonder if I would have come out that young, if because I ended right. up coming out when I was sixteen, and I wonder if I would have if if I hadn't met them,
0: had that role model. How had you felt kind of before that point? Is uh, were you aware of your difference? was that something that was pointed out to you by other people like were you were you a butch kid you know what was that what was that process like and and was it like oh i see someone who makes me understand all of these things that people have been telling me or was it like a total light bulb mo- yeah talk to me a bit about that
1: yeah i was like a boy as a child like i was i looked like a boy acted like a boy all my friends were boys like it was like sports all the time probably until about 12, 13 years old, where, and everyone was always like, oh, you're a tomboy. Like this Mm -hmm. word that we used for like, quote unquote, boyish girls, like, which is such a strange word when you really think about it, because it's kind of like, there's no room for gender exploration. And, you know, it was the 90s. And like, my parents definitely didn't know what was going on with me. They were just like, you'll grow out of it. You know, I would only wear clothes that were from the boys section. And I really felt like I was a boy. And and so then at like 12, 13, like I became like hyper feminine because I think I just was bullied so much. and And I was like quite an overweight kid, which is like also really tough at that age in the 90s when like thin culture was just like so intense. And so it was like this journey. And then when I met this person, it was like, whoa, I... I'm not ready to to deal with the fact that I want to look like them. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is like very, very conflicting and confusing for me because I ended up kind of being more feminine presenting until about like 22 or 23. So it was like really ch- like 10 year chunk that like I feel now like I'm trying to make up for. Mm because it was really hard to be existing in this like sort of insecure pre- presentation that was just like so not me at all.
0: What was the messaging like when, you know, you say you were a tomboy? Like, was that kind of okay? Did the world tell you that was okay? Or was that? It... Because I feel like it's, there is, even though there isn't a room, there isn't room for it because of like, the erasure of queer women like they just get called tomboys or they did definitely when when i was a kid as well you know people understood what a feminine boy meant but it was almost like a like you say that kind of being a a, a butch little girl was almost like it's like a phase, or it's a it's a, it's a way of being, and it's not necessarily n- instantly associated with queerness. I don't know. I'm I'm not trying I to put agree. words in your mouth. I'm I'm just
1: no. I agree. I feel I feel the same way. It's like we like exactly what you said. We knew that more feminine energied young boys. We all said, "Oh well, they are probably going to be gay." And by we, I mean you know the older folk at the uh-huh. time. But as butch g- girls, I was always told like you're going to grow out of it. It's just a phase, or like the boys are going to love you because you're going to be friends with them, and it's, like, it just really weird things that we don't need to say to children. Uh-huh. And I was always told that I was going to grow out of it and that it was a phase and that I was always, um... My, my mom was, like, very hyper-feminine and I think, you know, really wanted, like, a daughter that she could share the things that she loved with, but that's not what, you know, she got. And I think over time, I just felt so shitty about not being able to please the people in my life that I just like had to go full, full, fully in the opposite direction so that I could just like feel loved, which is so tragic. And I think thankful for my therapist, um, (laughs) because (laughs) I feel like I've been able to give a lot of respect and love to that you know what i had to do to feel like i could survive but i was definitely always told that i would grow out of it and that it was like not okay and not appropriate yeah. and that i would never meet a man
0: <laughs> i wonder if that's changed at all hopefully i hope so hopefully
1: Maybe, yeah Yeah.
0: i mean i really the, hope so the gender critical folks would have us believe that now uh any kid whose butch is being uh, pumped full of hormones and transitioned and we know that's not true either. So it's like <laughs> there's there's always going to be fear and scaremongering. It's unfor- It seems to just be have shifted that it's now coming from the other side. But hopefully yeah, there's space yeah, cause, for little queer girls now a little bit more. I hope more. so
1: because I didn't feel like a boy. I mean I like I felt like a boy, but I didn't want to change anything about me. Like mm-hmm. I I was happy with how I dressed and how I existed. Like I never felt like, "Oh, I'm not like them." I felt like, "Oh, I am. Like as I am, I am like them." Like yeah. I Yeah, I just felt hyper boyish and that's and those were my interests and those are the things that I loved, but I didn't necessarily feel like I mean, maybe if we had had the language and the I I don't know, but it's uh It was an interesting time for a young, little, butch, gay Mm. kid. Mm.
0: (laughs) Do you see that relationship as, like, something that was healthy, I guess?
1: I do, and it's very interesting, because, like, a lot of my friends and, you know, therapists will be like, that is wrong. Like, that was wrong. The power dynamic, the age gap, like, was wrong. But, like, to this day, I don't feel like it was. Like, I never Mm -hmm. felt taken advantage of. I never felt over-sexualized. I never felt that sort of, like intensity of the power dynamic in an unhealthy way, even though I totally understand, like logically, that it kind of was. Um, so it was a very complicated relationship and extremely inf- influential in in so many ways. Um, but it never felt uh, as inappropriate as it would be perceived from the outside, I think, especially right. nowadays. Right. But but also a lot of the people that I went to camp with all ended up being queer as well. So I think around that time, a lot of my friends, like two of my closest friends, their our parents went to summer camp together and we mm-hmm. went to camp together and we're all gay. And so it's like... Just so funny, like I feel so lucky that I had so many other young gay people around me who we were all out at the same time. Like Mm. early early 2000s, like 16 year old, a bunch of gay like women too, like young girls who were gay. And it was like a wild thing that I just happened to know so many gay people at that time because so many people I meet now did not come out at that age and i've had these friends for a, a long time and we've really helped each other through all our you know journeys but i think like us being young queer out kids like just bonded us for life in a way that i don't know that new friendships could ever hold that deep of a space so like i value these people beyond and i'm sure they had really similar like summer camp experience maybe not similar exactly the same but um <laughs> Probably not. Um, But like all of us just being like young and gay and we have like this shorthand with each other that it's like this understood thing.
0: That's, that's beautiful. I guess the lesson is to any parents listening, if you're worried your kid is a bit straight, just send them to summer camp.
1: Exactly. That'll (laughs) That'll just sort them right out.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's move on to your next item. Yeah. So up next, we've got your film or TV show and we're just going to talk about 90s kids sport movies which is a fabulous genre to discuss. Um you've yeah. specifically mentioned Little Giants and the yeah. relationship between Becky the Icebox O'Shea and Devin Sawa and The Sandlot which I haven't I hadn't thought about either of those movies in a very long time. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching the trailers today. I haven't didn't get a chance to watch them. But like the trailers are exactly what you think of the 90s. It's like the 90s bottled that man's voice.
1: Totally Have you ever
0: felt different.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, it, they're so it's so great. It took me right back. But talk to me about this.
1: Well, I mean, as I was like thinking about the general sort of like 90s sports movies, like oftentimes, you know, it's like an underdog story and there's like an underdog, you know, teens that don't or kids that don't fit in. And then they end up like grouping together. And like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, that's just gay kids. Like Mm -hmm. that's just queer people finding community and trying to prove themselves and like. And win, quote unquote, the game of like whatever life has um, has given us, and so like I think these this genre is like quite a mirror to queerness, um, and then also just like the style and the fashion is like so butch. Like when I see the cover of the Sandlot, I, that could be like ten like butch thirty year olds. <laughs> like it's it really can be.
0: I'm I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> like it really
1: could be. Like sometimes I play the game. Like is queer person or child? I've
0: been to that lesbian bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um. So for me, like these movies, and I was just like obsessed. Like I was obsessed, and I was obsessed with the Sandlot. I was obsessed with these like underdog stories. And Becky the Icebox O'Shea was a quote unquote tomboy, and she had the experience of like. Her parents wanted her to be a cheerleader. And she was like, no, I want to play football. And that was, like, really interesting because it was, like, sort of the first character that we see as kids where it was, like, actually okay in the end, even though there was, like, the tension of, you know, her and her parents and trying to fight the stigma of what a young girl should do. She ended up being a part of the team and having all these friends who were boys and, you know, still ended up... And Devin Sawa was, like a lesbian icon. Uh-huh. I think if we think of Casper and we think of really in Little Giants, like their relationship was just so queer to me. Like they just felt like two little lesbians playing football and falling in love, um, which probably wasn't the intention when they made the movie. But that's how I took it. <laughs> yeah. So I just felt like these stories are are so underdoggy and so community-based and, like, kids finding like-minded friends who can help them overcome, um, and, you know, all shaped in the, like, silly, sporty, like, the best outfits. Like, it was just such a, like you said, it really bottled that essence of the 90s. Um, and in the sandlot where, in the scene where you have the lifeguard, I don't know if you remember the scene, but there's, like, the lifeguard sitting up and then Squints.
0: Yes. It's like, it's basically the only thing I remember about that movie.
1: Yeah, because it's incredible, Um, but like probably problematic um, and very (laughs) non-consensual situation. But let's just pretend for a second that it's fine. And um, when he has that moment where they're like just obsessed with the lifeguard and then he like pretends to drown and he is just like, it's like so iconic to me in like this like my understanding of what queerness felt like for me back then, or it just felt like you could kind of do anything and you can kind of like explore all these aspects of yourself and just like have fun with your friends. And I was very lucky that a lot of my friends, like I said, were gay. So we got to like do all these fun things um, in like our teens that felt like, and we still talk about it now, like how we feel like we're making up for that time Mm. for that time when we were kids where we were like obsessed with these movies and you know couldn't necessarily exist how we wanted to so i just i don't know i don't know what it is but like but between the fashion and the storyline it's like to me it's really gay Mm -hmm. and really encapsulates like butch young butch culture i find it very very exciting
0: so are we saying that Devin Sawa was like a heartthrob across multiple sexualities and genders? Because I'm sure yeah. like he, he was on Tiger Beat and all of, and like he was definitely a heartthrob for little straight girls, but I think like I think I definitely fancied him as well. For so sure. We're we're seeing like a real cross culture. It's like the Venn diagram of of Devin Salwa.
1: Yeah, and I think that's our generation's version. And then there's another generation who had like the Justin Bieber. Like Uh I would say Justin Bieber is kind of similar in that way where like kind of when he was young, looked like a little lesbian. And I think that that's like-
0: lesbians love Justin Bieber.
1: Love, love with that little lesbian face and the hair. We can't Uh help it. These are like what I call culturally lesbian. So because I'm not, (laughs) I don't don't identify as like a woman loving women. Uh But I am culturally lesbian. Like, Uh and I am like, I'm a culturally dyke energy. Like I, it's what I grew up on. It's what I like exist in. So I like using the term culturally lesbian.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's so funny. I love a crossover sexuality crush.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Someone who just hits all the, (laughs) hits all the genders. Hits all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's also weird, like, it's, I also find it very weird when you look back at photos of, you're like, I thought that kid was so cute when I was a kid. And you're like, that's weird now because they look like such a child.
1: And, uh, yeah, they're a child.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 But you just have to look at it with, you know, your childhood eyes. Exactly. Okay, let's move on. Actually, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more of the things that made Mint queer. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Holmes. And I'm Matt McConkie. And we are the hosts of Homophilia,
1: the podcast where we talk to awesome LGBTQ plus people about the pop culture that they are consuming and loving and the love lives that they are leading. The conversations that we wish we had had access to when we were growing up. The, The conversations that we would like to
0: eavesdrop on now. But we have them with the coolest people in the world. Like who, Matt? Sir Andy Cohen himself. What? Michael Patrick King, Tig Nataro, Alan Cumming, Jinx, Monsoon, and Vendela Creme. Countless queens from the drag race universe. We're asking all of them about the pop culture milestones that shaped them as queer people and more importantly, who they're having sex with. There you go. It's the queer conversation they don't want you to have. We're having it on Homophilia every week on the World of Wonder Network. Tune in. Listen to Homophilia on the WoW Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. In a world full of straight people, aren't you glad there's WoW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to Wow Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. And we are back with Mint and The Things That Made Them Queer. And up next, we've got your album or song. And it, you've put uh, the Melissa Etheridge Greatest Hits CD, which, again, we found another crossover topic. I have lots to say, but please kick us off.
1: I, I mean, that CD, like, I, like... I used and abused that CD. Like, it is crumbled now, at this point. Um, (laughs) I listened to it so much. I probably listened to it... It's funny, because I'm pretty sure, like, my mom showed it to me, was like, there's, you know, probably like, I love Melissa Etheridge, and like, had no clue what it would do to my little queer brain. But just having this like like I used to listen to it a ton. I moved to Toronto for school for university. Mm-hmm. And so I would drive back to Montreal to visit friends and family and probably a girlfriend often, like almost every weekend in my first few years while I was moving moved away. And I think that's the only CD that I would listen to in the car, and I just like knew it off by heart, knew that what the end went into the beginning of the next song. Like I just knew every inch of it. And I think there's just, like, something so edgy and raw and real about this, like, rocker female voice just, like, singing about a female lover being gay, like, driving down the highway and, like, Mm -hmm. packing up a bag and getting out of this town and, like, just so raw um like come to my window has been my karaoke song for probably 15 years i can't help it
0: put out a cover we deserve it right
1: (laughs) right i think i probably will have to do that because it's probably it's in my top five for sure favorite songs um but the whole album was just like mind blowing to me that this sort of queer and and it was like at the similar time when i was listening to tegan and sarah's the con Mm-hmm. which also resonated with me a lot. But there was something about this like older female voice that like really spoke to me. It was like a mother figure or something or like a part of me. I always felt like I was like older than I was. Maybe all teenagers feel that way where you're just like, I like feel like I'm 25 and I'm 16. Uh-huh. Um, So there's something about her voice that just like hooked me. And I wanted to hear all her gay stories and just like banging on an acoustic guitar. Like it was so raw. There weren't a lot of other instruments. It was like really, I just felt really real and really gay. And I just, I, I have listened to so many of her albums, but it's just like that one greatest hit CD that I listened to over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it was just like women loving women, like real, real gay energy.
0: Does she have many songs that are like really explicit? about the cuz i feel like her biggest hits the gender of the lover in question they're they're mostly love songs her like but it's it's typically like it's an undercurrent rather than like uh you know the pronouns are used Is, am i right about that
1: you might be right but maybe i just hear female pronouns yeah you
0: can but you can tell <laughs> like, you you, you can, can definitely you can definitely tell but and i think she was out as well, when like she had all her success, so it's not like yeah. it was subtle, but it's it's interesting because you can kind of put your own experience onto it. But yeah, her voice is just so sensational; it like yeah. gives me chills. And it's so true what you said about it being driving music. Like it's definitely the the kind of thing I will put on if I've got a long drive. It's just and you can just scream along with her, at yeah, the top of your lungs. But I think we might have also unlocked another crossover icon because I've seen Brooklyn Heights perform Melissa Etheridge. I mean, I'm obsessed with Melissa. Maybe maybe it's a Canadian queer crossover situation. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I actually don't... Yeah, I don't think I know many... I, I'm trying to think of anyone in the UK who I know who loves Melissa Etheridge and maybe she never really had her moment here. But yeah. maybe for Canadians, w- we've found something that touches all genders and and sexualities
1: (laughs) i love that i like that we're finding these people um later Uh in life and understanding Uh how you know why the why Uh,
0: she's yeah i mean what an icon have you ever seen her live
1: i've never seen her live um which is gonna have to happen but like i think there's something like in the way in which she tells her stories that is like very emotional and and strong in a way that we mm-hmm. don't hear a lot of female voices, like being so assertive. Like, it really did feel, um, like dominant and like butch and and like not aggressive, though, you know, in the way that sometimes things can be pushed into like this aggressive light. Like, there was still managed, even in the mainstream, to remain like, in the eyes of, you know, people who could call that aggressive, like, not aggressive. And mm-hmm. I think it's, like, a very sweet spot that she found and was able to talk about romantic experiences in a way that I just, like, had never heard before.
0: You're so right. Like, I'm the only one. is such, like, a it's got dom-top energy, but it's not... So much. Yeah, but it's not, yeah. not aggressive. Yeah. I love that.
1: It's that is such a great song. I mean, they're all so great, but I'm the only one is just so like, I'm going to go for what I want. And I'm going to tell uh-huh. you that I am gonna the one that it. you want. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You could be dating whoever you want, but I'm the one that you're uh-huh. going to come home to. It's like uh-huh. so Dom top. And I just like don't think there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there, uh, especially not at that time.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Do you see that music as like an influence on, on your songwriting and, and your music style?
1: Um, I mean, I think I've always like been into this sort of like country rock energy, which doesn't is not what my any of my music sounds like. But there's always been a part of me that wants to like like when I was young and I would like just kind of naturally had a good voice as a teenager. So people would be like, sing, sing. And I would play acoustic guitar and sing. And it was like. Just something that I would do, so it's definitely influential in my early uh in my early mm. discovery of like, oh the fact that I could sing and the fact that I understood how songs worked and how I could hear the song in a from a musician perspective, like all those journeys would I would say happen while listening to Melissa Etheridge for sure
0: love that love that. What would you sing when you were a kid with an acoustic guitar?
1: I would sing Tracy Chapman all the time, Uh 24-7. Fast Car, Give Me One Reason. Give Me One Reason was probably, like, my favorite song as a kid. Um, Everyone was, I mean, I was listening to, like, Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls, all that stuff that I, you know, felt like I was supposed to listen to. But I had these huge Tracy Chapman posters on my wall. How my mother and my parents did not know that I was, like, so gay. Because Tracy Chapman was so interesting, right? Like, her voice, it was, like... People didn't know if she was male or female. Like mm-hmm. it was this whole thing when you're were when you young and you're first hearing it. And I just thought that was so cool. And I didn't think like even as a kid that it was like strange. I just thought it was cool. And I just thought that she was an icon and that's whose posters I wanted to have on my wall. So it, my probably my first song that I learned was Give Me One Reason.
0: I love that. Great song. Yeah.
1: Great song. Oh,
0: well, we agree. Melissa Etheridge, super queer Tracy Chapman super queer nice to just talk about queer people isn't it
1: exactly <laughs> gay icons
0: absolutely should we move on to your next item yes so up next we've got your place bar drugstore mm.
1: I imagine oh, that I you've been well.
0: there yeah oh yeah oh yeah
1: many many a drugstore night
0: yeah Explain. Explain to the uninitiated.
1: Well, actually, drugstore, you know, circling back, was the first place that I also kissed a queer person. So it was, like, the first place that I ever um, had an experience. But I basically started going there underage, obviously, as one does in Montreal, because the legal age Mm -hmm. is 18, which actually means 15. Mm -hmm. So I started going to drugstore when I was, like, 15, 16, and then... It was the first like place that I told anyone that I was gay. It was like a really <laughs> special place for me. You're like I've
0: brought you to this lesbian bar because I have <laughs> to tell you to a tell secret. You. <laughs> 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 You're
1: gonna be shocked, uh-huh. but
0: <laughs> Melissa Etheridge is you know currently playing on the yeah. TikTok.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just sang Melissa Etheridge for karaoke. We're sitting in the six-story lesbian bar. I have to tell you something that you will never believe. (laughs) I'm gay. Um, Or I think I probably said, I think I'm bisexual. That maybe lasted Uh a minute, um, maybe a day at the most. And I was like, no, that was silly. I'm super gay. Mm -hmm. But this sort of like six story... Um, multiple bars and terraces and and stages and like pool tables in the basement. Like it had everything that I think a gay bar should have. It had, it was like rustic and kind of felt like, I don't know, small town cowboy And then it also mm-hmm. felt like modern and special with beautiful views of the city. Like it was such an iconic Montreal place. And I think so many of, I know my friends and and my, and my so much of my time was spent in the village when I first came out, like probably for the first five years, I was in the village like every night, it was like drugstore every night, parking when parking was open. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever went to parking. Mm-hmm. It was of like course. so fun and you just felt so like rebellious and, and I felt so comfortable in the village and that's really where we all used to go. Um, but you know, the dying gay bar, the dying lesbian bar, like it closed, I think in like 2000, I want to say 2011, like not that long ago, maybe even like 2014. And I remember when it closed, it was like, I wasn't really going there anymore, but it still felt so heartbreaking Um. because so many of my memories of being young and queer happened at drugstore. So many crushes, you know, so many... Like memories and discoveries and and flirts and all these like things and it's just like it makes me really sad to think about that bar not existing anymore. Um, yeah, because it really held so much space for so many of us.
0: How long do you think it was open? Do you know when it opened?
1: I think it was open at least like. I think it opened in the 90s. I recently looked this up. It was, like, opened in the 90s. It was probably open for, like, 15, 20 years. I think it was, like, involved in some Montreal crimey situation.
0: Oh, like, it was run by the mob.
1: Yeah, which, like, most good things in Montreal are. Everything
0: in Montreal, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Um, and I think like people said that it closed because of noise complaints, but I recently looked it up and it was like a, it was the, the rent and the, the amount owing was, had gotten so high and impossible to maintain because I think like, I don't know what it is about the dying lesbian bar. I don't know if people couple up and start staying home or whatever it is. Like there is this whole thing where, where lesbian bars are closing like throughout the world. and. But these places were so important and special. And it's not like it was only a place for lesbians. Like it was a sort of staple in the village where you would go and you'd yeah. pre-drink or you'd go yeah. and meet. That's like the meeting point.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was the, it was the pre-place before the club in my yeah. memory. Like you'd go for piches of beer and yeah. I feel like they had like, do they have peanuts or popcorn?
1: Maybe, maybe popcorn. And they would have like shot specials.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, the pool tables downstairs, like it was, a, and it was, in my head, it's like made out of like pallets of wood. It's like so <laughs> exactly. like, everything's slatted and it's like a like, saloon, like, yeah, very saloon and, but <laughs> yeah, also what people listening won't be able to get their head around is the scale of it. And like, that's just across the board for Montreal, I think is the number of, gay super venues that there were. And there probably aren't quite so many anymore. But, like, that was one of several multi-story gay bars on one block.
1: Yeah, with multiple outdoor spaces, multiple bars within the bar. Like, it, Uh it had, like, its own, like, designated spaces. And it, and, like, so many, it would, like, span through the, through the ages. Like, I remember, like... You know, the teenagers would be in the basement playing pool. And then, like, you'd literally have 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, like, as you'd, like, kind of go higher in the bar. Um, so, it, like, really spanned generations. And, like, so many people, so many people. It was always packed. And it was just massive, massive and so special. And they'd have shows and they'd have drag shows there and on, like, this little stage and musicians play. Like, it was it was a real community place mm-hmm. um, where you could meet so many people lovers friends like it was the drama those walls have seen is uh big time yeah but like you said even like sky like complex sky was also a huge club which now unfortunately from what i've heard is like extremely straight
0: um oh really yeah,
1: yeah it's like a considered like practically considered a straight club now oh where that used to be so fun. I think Unity is still and will always remain gay, and I hope so, because uh-huh. I mean, I haven't been in a long time, but um, I used to love going to Unity also, but it just felt like Drugstore was this, like, hub. Um, yeah. And it yeah, it holds, like, so much space for me for my queerness, because I met so many people there, had my first experiences there, like... I was very young when I started going um, and it felt like a safe space in a world that did not feel um, safe. I didn't feel understood in any other place in my life, you know, at home or anything like that. So it was like somewhere I could go and meet people who were like going through the same thing.
0: Yeah. Every young queer deserves like a village, I feel. Yeah. Uh, And there's, they're very rare, like let alone gay bars, like, gay you know you say the lesbian bar is dying the gay bar is also dying and then yeah like the the idea of a gay village i just think is actually such a rare thing in like even toronto which is a bigger city like the village doesn't have the same scale i feel as in montreal and london yeah. again like doesn't really have it the way a city like manchester does actually have you ever been to manchester
1: mm, i haven't
0: Manchester has a strip which is similar to Montreal's village, which is like bar after bar after bar, and many of them have multiple stories, and it'll be packed every weekend. I love that. Yeah. There's nothing like that experience when you're young of going into a a scenario like that and realizing there are so many people like you versus, I think, kind of the sad... (laughs) <laughs> the sad realization when you go to a like a small town gay bar if you're from a small town and you're like, yeah. Oh, everyone here, this is all a little bit tragic.
1: Yeah, there's like 3 of us here. Uh-huh. And we didn't have social media, so we couldn't link up like, you know, the way that kids now see people on TikTok who are able yeah. to like be themselves and all these things, like we didn't have that. We didn't even have Facebook. Like it was literally there was nowhere that you could see this representation. So you had to go to the gay bar. And I don't know if there's a correlation between social media and the dying gay bar, maybe, but like I think that it was really the only place that you could go and and see people like you.
0: Yeah. Well, people used to blame it on Grindr, but I think that's too easy.
1: Yeah, I blame it on inflation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) Late-stage capitalism, let's blame it on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fine with me.
0: Well, thank you for that trip down memory lane of Drugstore. That's really I nice. love
1: that you went to Drugstore too. We probably were there at the same time and didn't even uh-huh. know it.
0: Uh-huh. Um, I was probably singing some bad Pat Benatar at Bar Cocktail just next door. while Love. You were... <laughs> yeah.
1: Love. Yeah, there were some good, all the best karaoke in the city is also in the village.
0: When I was there a little while ago, I went back to Bar Cocktail and and really enjoyed it. And nothing had changed despite, you know, there being a new disc jockey. It was still like, it just felt exactly the same. It was perfect. It was
1: perfect. I love that. I love that yeah. you had that.
0: Yeah. Uh, trying to recapture youth. It's a losing game, I, but like, yeah, it can be we can't really help nice. It. Yeah. yeah. Mint, let's move on to your next item. Okay. And your final item, in fact, we've got your wild card. And I think maybe you want to talk about a few things or maybe you want to talk about one thing or... What did I say to you? (laughs) You said Tracy Chapman, who we've discussed, uh, or musician's cult classic, That Thing You Do.
1: Yes. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. It is kind of... I think it is a cult classic. And it was like the first movie that I think I saw where I was like it wasn't it It wasn't that feeling of like do i want am i attracted to this person or do i want to be this person it was like very much i want to be this person and it uh-huh. was the main character of that movie who was a drummer and he wore sunglasses and they called him shades and um <laughs> i just like wore sunglasses all around my house as a kid and i was like i am this person and he ends up with liv tyler who's like stunning in the movie where like every time she's on screen like I would like flutter, which was obviously, you know, my young gayness, but I just like loved because like I I didn't really know that I wanted to be a musician when I was young, I always loved music, but I was very insecure. So I, I didn't feel like it was really in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing else that I ever thought, like when I was a kid, I was never like, I want to be a doctor, or like, I want to be a fire person, like, I don't know, I never had those thoughts, it was only that I was ever obsessed with music. Um, but really never believed that I could do it, um, but I loved it so much, which I, which I think is why I kind of started later in life, like, I, I only really started writing songs in my early 20s. Like I would write songs as a teen, but the only time I ever like showed anybody anything was um, in my early 20s. And it was two, Lana and Isabel, who were jamming in in Lana's mom's garage. And I was, uh, they were like, do you wanna come, you know, audition? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like so uh, shy. And I auditioned for their band we ended up hanging out and we actually ended up bonding over that thing you do. Like oh. they had seen it and were obsessed with it. And it, I like immediately was like, okay, this is my safe space. And like now I'm going to like really, I always wanted to be in a band. I thought it was like the coolest thing. I thought Lana and Isabel were the coolest people I'd ever met in my entire life. And the fact that they wanted me to come like jam in Lana's mom's garage was just like the coolest thing to me. Um, So when we bonded over this movie, I was like, oh my God, like I can finally like be, it was like, you know, I think it was a movie that was supposed to be based on the Beatles in some way in that, Mm -hmm. you know, they had hyper success and then they all kind of wanted to go their separate ways. So it's like, wasn't a long time where they had that success, but it just felt like for the first time watching that like I wanted to be like a male musician and I always loved like Prince and Freddie Mercury and and um only later in life did I realize I really wanted to be like those people but this movie was like it really sparked this sort of desire Mm. to be in a in a band and and oddly it was never like all female bands that made me feel um, that way. I think it was like hmm. something about the energy of this main character who is kind of had this like puppy dog energy, like just really excited by music and like what he was doing. And I was like, I want to be him. I want to be him. I want to end up with Liv Tyler. This is going to be my <laughs> life. <laughs> and and uh, I like, you know, was like, I'm going to do this. And then when I auditioned for the band and they had also loved this movie, I felt like we could like create this vibe and this energy and that was like 10 years ago so it's pretty wild and we've still been together all this time and you know we're still making music now and i feel like i'm sort of like living that and and you know ever since i got top surgery too like i do feel like i can present more in a way that feels right for me and the ways in which Mm -hmm. like i got excited about when i first fell in love with the idea of being a musician
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so it's just like i think it's a big part of my queerness and and like the 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 connection to being a musician,
0: that's really interesting, and I guess that's kind of what you're talking about at the top of the podcast where your solo music is letting you explore that side of yourself even further. Is that kind of where you how that journey tracks? you know that kind of more masculine presenting and more yeah, that side of the music,
1: absolutely yeah and like how i can exist in that way and like i think i think i hope in the industry there's more space for that um kind of exploration then and that it feels less confusing for people and more just like oh that's just how this person looks and who like without overthinking it and yeah. being able to just like listen and hear like i think what i get told a lot is like the way that i look and the way that my voice sounds whether it's my speaking voice or my singing voice just feels so different, like like the way I present, and then the way I talk, and the way that I sing, and I just think it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I was gonna, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, th- there isn't any disharmony in you about that. It's something that you you embrace and lean into. I love that. Yeah,
1: I, I like. I've I think I've learned to love my singing voice as it's like grown and changed, and I became an adult um, and could really like explore it. And I think that there are elements to it that feel a little bit like deeper and what we would associate with like what some people would associate as masculine but I more associate it to like 80s ballads like you Uh know the real singers of the of the 80s um and then there are moments which feel a little bit like lighter and more um soft and and I think it's really fun and and I think when I was doing a lot of gender exploration I was like okay do I want to go on hormones like this is the big question and it was really tough for me to figure that out because I was like, do I not want to go on hormones because I'm afraid of changing like this thing that I love about myself, like my singing voice, or do I not want to go on hormones because like I don't want to be presenting in this way? It was just like a whole um, journey, but I think my, my voice played a, p- played a factor in that decision as well.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Do you, are you happy to talk about? your top surgery a bit and like yeah. how you got to that decision and and how it's felt after
1: Absolutely. I it was like always something that's been on my mind. Um I had had a breast reduction when I was like 22 and I remember like seeing the results and being like shit. That's not what I wanted. You know, I was like had convinced myself that that would be enough. And so I just spent, you know, 10 years after that like feeling kind of shitty and confused and didn't want to go through that again, and um, also like I just joined the band, and and we were like moving at a pace where you know I wanted to just like go, like I never really wanted to stop. And then when the pandemic hit and everything stopped, it was like where my brain went instantly. It was like hmm. you are stopped, like you have all this time to think. And I remember, I remember like one day waking up, and you know in the pandemic, like let's say 2020 was just like such a weird time for all of us where. Our brains, we were just like talking to ourselves and like, it was so, it was such an experience I'd never had. And one day I woke up and I just said like to myself, I was like, today you're going to allow yourself to like really look in the mirror and like not look in the way where you're trying to like survive and get out the door and get dressed, but in a way where you're like actually willing to see yourself and like the things that you feel don't align with like who you are. And the second I opened that door, I was like a mess, like deep, deep depression, like felt like the survival mode had just ended. And it was like, I just felt like, oh my God, I have to I have to do this. So I ended up getting, I went to Toronto and I got top surgery and like, it was like beyond the best decision that I ever made. And yeah. it was like life changing. And I recognize like how much of a privilege that is that I got to do that. And that I live somewhere where it's safe to do that, and where I could afford to do it. And it was like heartbreaking for me to think about uh, because I know how much it did for me, and I and it's heartbreaking to think about how people don't have access to that. So I think I was just like so grateful, like the gratitude that I feel to have made that decision and like and did it was just like next level. I feel like a completely different person, and. It's so exciting. And then I think like I was able to put out my project because I was like, this is me. Like, this is me. I don't feel this disconnect anymore. Like it was just like this total liberation, um, which hopefully makes me a better, you know, songwriter. And definitely I know it makes me a better performer because that London show was like the first time that I got on stage since top surgery, which was- Oh. Wild, Like, wild. I was like, I can wear a white tank top and not want to die. (laughs) Like, I can, Uh like, you know, I think that sort of ritual of, like, putting on a binder before a show and, like, having to get in the headspace of, like, being seen and being watched. And, like, you know, just just to get myself on stage was so much work that to, like, eliminate that um, just allowed so much more space for, for fun and play. And, I mean, you know how it is when you get on stage and you're just, like... You are exposed in every way. And mm-hmm. even if you have control over it, even though even if you know you have like the audience in your hand, you still can't help but feel um, watched. And it can either feel yeah. really good or it could feel really difficult.
0: Yeah. Wow, that was, that gave me goosebumps, that story. It was really, oh. really nice. Hear, like just hearing that kind of euphoria, you're talking about being on stage and feeling like, Good in your skin. Yeah. So wonderful. I hope that people listening can take a time for themselves to like think about themselves and stop in that mirror and ask themselves if they're happy. It's really important. It's really nice. Yeah. And it's,
1: it's hard. And, and it's like, especially when you're like trying to please other people. And, you know, I was like, go, go, go in this project where I felt like, there's no way that I could stop the momentum of Caveboy right now. Like I don't want to be responsible for that. So mm. the pandemic kind of gave me that opportunity though tragic gave me that space
0: and look, looking at like the work that you're putting out now, it's just so it's so exciting to see that new energy from you and that excitement. and it just goes to show like what living authentically can do for someone totally. and I
1: was- Thank you. Yeah, I felt like I was, like, too old to, you know, get top surgery and, like, start this whole new journey. But, like, that is such bullshit.
0: Yeah. Never too old.
1: No. Start a solo project.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Who cares? Be a pop star. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all those stories. It's so nice.
1: Thank you for asking and having. I
0: really appreciate, Yeah all your vulnerability absolutely
1: i love talking
0: <laughs> <laughs> good i love listening um do great. you, you want to play a, ge- a quick game of but is it queer yeah yeah great so i'm just gonna we're gonna I- give each other some some things and we're gonna decide definitively once and for all 100 percent if they're queer or not
1: great i'll try to go on theme with what we've been talking about
0: oh okay cool um okay i'm gonna start with roller skating queer yeah, it's just, it's a no brainer, right? right?
1: Oh, I think it's been, there's been a resurgence. I think
0: anything that's like a butt exercise also. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I just picture like along the beach, you know, crop top, uh-huh. like boys in crop tops, which uh-huh. just feels queer.
0: Or yeah, girls in like really high cut bathing suits and like big hair. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure does yeah. rollerblading fit. Where does rollerblading land? I'm not sure. Rollerblading might be not queer. Roller skating, rollerblading. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, yes. It's like
0: having the earring in the wrong ear.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) the same. Where the wheels are placed, Uh really could tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Okay, what you got?
1: Friendship bracelets.
0: Friendship bracelets, so queer.
1: Like that's like the first sign of a crush.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just like, hey, I like you and I don't know what to do about it. Except give you this not exactly. a plastic.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so queer, okay, great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, mid-century furniture.
1: Oh, uh, I feel like maybe it started queer and now it's becoming yeah. like mainstream.
0: That's my feeling. But too. that's a good one. It's my feeling too. Basically, a lot of things start queer and then, and then the mainstream or the cassettes get a hold of it.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: But I do love I do love a nice piece of mid century furniture. So as do I. Give I'll, me a nice uh, hutch. Give me uh-huh. a buffet. Yeah, absolutely. A little parquet yeah. flooring. Why not?
1: Love. <laughs> we can make it queer again.
0: <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> have you got one more for me
1: okay um corporate pride parade <laughs> <laughs> bank sponsored <clears throat> pride parade
0: oh god i mean you know where i land on that and that's not even worst. that's not even the worst thing i've ever seen i remember a pride in london seeing um a BAE Systems Float, who are the arms manufacturer for the UK. <laughs> they, make, <laughs> they make all the guns that we sell to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but they're oh proud. My God. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're supporting. Yeah. Phew. Thank God we've got them on side. Really? <laughs> like maybe gay rights have gone too far.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think at that point, I think guns make it too far.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I will say about like the corporatization of pride is that I'm sure it has had some fabulous knock-on effects for like general acceptance. Yeah. And it just means that the like the good stuff just moves back underground and like for example this weekend in London is London Trans Pride which you know there isn't a corporate sponsor in sight and it's back to the extreme roots of pride and a protest and it's incredibly exciting and inspiring. So you know well, we can have both maybe.
1: Yeah. And I think that ke- bringing it back underground keeps it like intimate and, you know, personal to us and, and, you know, brings it back to, like you said, the roots of what Pride is about, um, that riot and that protest.
0: Oh, I like that. I think that's a good one to end on. Love. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's been Thank really, you. really, really nice chatting. This is the first time we've had a proper conversation, and I, I really enjoyed it.
1: I know, and I love our little shared, shared links of Melissa Etheridge uh-huh. and and, uh-huh. Uh, and drugstore drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, where can people find you? What can they do to support you?
1: Yeah, um, you can find me at Mint Simon Says on Instagram or at Caveboy Music, um, both of which releasing new music, which is very exciting simultaneously and separately you know uh, both can live (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully we'll be hopefully the band will be back in the uk really soon um is is kind of the plan
0: great well please keep me posted and i will see you at the show
1: yes absolutely
0: thank you so much thank you talk to you soon Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. And thank you to my guest, Mint Simon. We will be back next week with more things that made us queer. Please tell your friends, spread the love, and help us get this podcast into as many ear holes as possible. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production. And our theme song, of course, is Something Like Summer by Caveboy.